Welcome to Purdue Commercial AgCast, the Purdue University Center for Commercial Agriculture's podcast featuring farm management news and information. I'm your host, Jim Mintert, director of the Purdue Center for Commercial Agriculture, and joining me is Nathan Thompson, associate professor of ag economics here at Purdue. Before we start today's podcast, I want to remind listeners that the annual Farmland Values webinar with Dr. Todd Keithy is coming up on August 24th. Todd just released the results of the annual Purdue Farmland Values and Cash Rent Survey, and we'll review those results along with USDA's estimates of farmland and cash rental values that were published last week for a wide variety of states across the Corn Belt. Um, you can register for the webinar on the Center for Commercial Agriculture's website, so I'd encourage you to do that today. And of course, if you can't catch it live, you can always catch uh, a version of it on YouTube when we, the recorded version becomes available. Um, on the podcast today, we're going to review the latest information from USDA's World Ag Supply and Demand Report, which was released earlier today on August 12th, along with updates on crop basis. Uh, a reminder for our listeners that you can download a set of the charts that accompany this podcast at the center's website, which is purdue.edu slash commercial ag. So, uh, Nathan, no big surprises on the report today. I mean, there were some adjustments on, for example, USDA reduced corn acreage by roughly 100,000 uh, acres. That put the corn acreage at 89.8 million acres. That's down, of course, compared to last year's 93.4 million acres. The thing I think a lot of people were waiting to see what would happen is what did they do with the yield estimate. Of course, last month's estimate was just based on uh, a trend, um, slight adjustment for weather, but basically just a trend. They did pull the yield back with this assessment to 175.4. So last month they were at 177, this month 175.4. Um, I would characterize that as being pretty realistic at this point, but I think there is an expectation on a lot of people's part in the marketplace that we could maybe see that number come down uh, in September. What do you think? Yeah, that seems to be the case. I and mean, we were talking earlier, you know, it's just highly variable right now where yields are at. And so I think a little bit more time will tell in terms of where that final number is going to end up. Yeah, I th when I visit with producers, tremendous variability in terms of the rainfall that we've had. And of course, there's also an issue with respect to temperature and what, what impact that really had on pollination. So I don't think we're out of the out of the woods yet with respect to corn uh, corn yield. And uh, I think there's going to be a lot of speculation here in August and early September about what the September report's going to reveal. But they did pull it back. And uh, I, I would characterize that as being in the ballpark of what a lot of people expected coming in. Um, the USDA did pull back its estimate of uh, exports for the uh, 22 crop by about, I think, 25 million bushels. That's a really a function of the fact we've seen some disappointing exports here. So um, the big surprise here is that we simply haven't been able to capture a big increase in exports uh, coming out of the Ukraine situation. I think that's probably the surprise for most of us. You know, in 2020, exports were at 2.75 billion bushels. Uh, the 21 crop exports, USDA's got those at about 2.45 billion bushels. The forecast for 22 is 2.38 billion bushels. So it's um, slight reduction compared to 21. Um, you know, going back to April, May, I think a lot of us thought the exports were going to be stronger than this, right? 
Yeah, I mean, with with everything that was going on in the Black Sea region, you know, we definitely had some indication that grain flows were going to change, and and they certainly have, but maybe not to the extent that we expected uh, for this time of the year. And you know, part of it was I think we started off with these assumptions, which we you, you sort of knew were a little bit unrealistic, but. Uh, you looked at, you know, what's going to happen if Ukraine can't export anything. And then there was a question about what would happen to Russia's exports. And I think it's turned out that Russia's exports have been stronger than expected. Uh, and there has been more leakage of exports out of Ukraine, probably than most of us thought likely. The news lately, of course, has been the movement of some of the ships out of the, out of the ports, especially Odessa. Um, it's going to be interesting to see whether or not they're able to actually pull some new ships into those ports. Uh, so far, it's really just been extricating the ships that were trapped going back to late February. Uh, and there's also an issue with respect to the quality of that uh, commodity com coming out of those ships. So um, a lot of uncertainty there remaining with respect to what's going to happen to uh, Ukraine's exports. But they certainly have been doing a better job of getting exports out in other ways. Uh, by rail, by truck, uh, some uh, using some river access, uh, barge access. Um, of course, the news stories this week is, is about the drought in Europe and the impact that's even having on river levels and making making barge movement difficult. So, tremendous amount of uncertainty, I think, with respect to where exports are going to go, uh, and a chunk of that tied to what's going on in the Black Sea region. Um, if you look at the ending stocks estimates, August for the uh, 21 crop. Uh, they did increase that a little bit to 15, uh, well, 1.53 billion bushels. That's up from 1.51 billion bushels, so about a 20 million uh, bushel increase compared to last month. There's been a trend to increase those carryover estimates coming out of the 21 crop going back to May. You know, we following the the Ukraine situation, the carryover estimates dropped about 100 million bushels, stayed there March, April, and May, and then since then, kind of trickling up. Um, and I, you know, I think maybe the trend there has kind of bothered people. It's not so much the magnitude uh, of the change, but more along the lines of the trend. If you look at the estimates on the 22 crop carryover going into the fall of 23, um, they pulled that back pretty hard. Uh, of course, that's a function of the yield primarily and a little bit of the acreage. So last month, they were projecting the 22 crop carryover into the fall of 23 at just below 1.5 billion bushels. It was at 1.47. And now they're at 1.388, which is not far off from where it was back in May. And May was at 1.36. So um, a lot of uncertainty there. And I think the wild card here the next 30 days or so is going to be what happens to yield, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we kind of started hinting at that last month, but I think, you know, we're definitely in that point of the year where weather is going to be the determining factor from here forward. And at this point, it's really trying to assess what impact the weather had in the month of July for a lot of people and maybe spilling over into the first uh, maybe 10 days or so of August. Um, you know, as, as I visit with farmers here in Indiana, one of the stories we keep picking up is how variable the rainfalls were uh, during the month of July some people inundated. I've been in some parts of Indiana where it looks like a garden spot. I've been in some other parts of Indiana where the crops don't look very good. Um, had some discussions with farmers that have been walking fields and complaining about pollination impacts. So just a lot of uncertainty still with respect to how good this corn crop is. And I think those same kind of concerns carry over into other states if you look at you know Iowa and whatnot. So 
yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out. If you look at the ending stocks as a percentage of usage, which is always our gauge of how tight stocks are, it's still hovering at, right at 10%. Uh, the estimate for the 21 crop carried over into 22 is at 10.3% of usage. Um, the estimate coming out of today's report from USDA based on their projected usage, and not only their supply estimate, but also their projected usage, just under 10% at 9.6%. You know, if you go back and look in history, that's pretty tight. We've had some years when it was tighter than that. 2012, it was 7%. Uh, 2011, it was 8%. 2013, it was 9%. Um, those are all pretty strong price years, right? So it, this, is, this is not a situation where we've got a burdensome supply. We've still got uh, a relatively tight supply situation. And anything that happens to pull yield back more is just going to tighten it more, I think. Don't you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, a little update on what's going on with Ukraine. Ukraine uh, projections by USDA did change significantly this month. No, no big surprise that they had to do some changing. Um, they did bump up their estimate of the 22 crop production in Ukraine. Uh, they raised that not quite 200 million bushels. So they're now projecting that Ukraine's corn crop will be 1.18 billion bushels. Um, for pr comparison purposes, you know, that's still well below where it was in 21. Their 21 crop estimate was unchanged at 1.65 or almost 1.66 billion bushels. Um, they raised the estimate of 21 crop exports out of Ukraine by 59 million bushels, I think largely reflecting the movement um, that's already taken place to some extent, I think, and, and, and a little bit of anticipation of maybe some more movement taking place. So that's a fairly modest increase. 22 crop exports, a little more optimistic. They raised those compared to last month by 138 million bushels. So those are all negatives in terms of increasing world supply. Um, from, negative from a price standpoint, I, I, I want to emphasize. Then the flip side, of course, was lots of news stories here the last few weeks about how dry and how hot it's been in the EU. And they did reduce EU corn production by about 315 million bushels. And then they increased imports of corn into the EU by 118 million bushels. Um, kind of interesting that they didn't increase imports into the EU even more than that. Uh, and I guess that remains to be seen how that's going to shake out. There's, of course, a tremendous amount of uncertainty about what's going to take place in the EU economy with all the energy issues that they've got going on. So, um, so the, the improvement in, in imports into the EU didn't fully offset what's taking place here, but still, uh, it, it does, I guess, raise just questions about the uncertainty that there is about trade flows, more so than normal. Uh, we've, there's always uncertainty about the trade flows, but this has really been exacerbated by the combination of the drought in the EU and the Black Sea changes with respect to Ukraine and, and, and uh, Russia. Um, if you look at the marketing year average price forecast for, from USDA, no change. Uh, no big surprise it didn't change the 21 crop uh, this late in the marketing year. It's still at 595. The 22 crop estimate was also unchanged. It remains to 665. Um, and then you've been taking a look at the basis, and there's some interesting stuff going on in the basis. I mean, the basis has been wild. Uh, it's probably the easiest way to characterize it, I think. 
Yeah, I think that's a, that's an excellent way to describe it. I mean, it's just it's just been very mixed, kind of like we were talking about with yields. It, it really just depends on where you're at and and the day that you're looking at as far as what's going on there. So, I mean, the first thing I would say with that in mind is, you know, folks that still have old crop corn, uh, probably not many, but for those of you that might have some old crop corn, you really need to be paying attention, right? Because on any given day at any given location, right, there are opportunities uh, for basis to kind of bump up. We've seen that in a lot of cases. I've read a lot of reports of, you know, these big increases in basis, you know, for a 24 hour period and then they go away. So, you know, if you still have old crop to market, you really want to be paying attention to what's going on in the basis side of things because because there are opportunities here and there. With that in mind, thinking about kind of the broader trend in, bra- uh, excuse me, in basis, um, you know, starting out thinking about just what's going on in the central Indiana crop production region. We basically have seen uh, about a 20 cent decline on average in, in corn basis uh, relative to September futures since the beginning of July. So kind of a slow, steady decline in basis. You know, that's not uncommon for this time of year, but uh, probably a little bit stronger of a decline than we typically see. Still above the historical three-year average basis for the region, uh, but again, approaching that kind of average line and, and slowly declining. A very similar story uh, in southwest Indiana, um, a, a little bit larger decline. So since the beginning of July, corn basis in southwest Indiana down 68 cents per bushel, again, relative to September futures. Um, again, not not an uncommon pattern to see basis start to decline uh, during this time of year, but maybe a little bit stronger decline than what we would typically see in terms of the steepness of that decline. And, you know, Nathan, looking at the chart, uh, and I I guess our listeners, I want to remind you, you can download these charts. But if you look at the chart, part of what's going on there is current basis was so strong relative to historical norm back in late June and early July. And now we've got that basis really just trying to approach normal, right? That's exactly right. We kind of saw a run up in basis there in in June and July. And and that any sort of uh, bump there has kind of deflated and, and gone from those basis markets. Uh, zoning in a little bit, so we, we talked about kind of southwest region of Indiana uh, as a whole. If you look at just the, the river terminals, right, along um, the Ohio River and southern Indiana and southern Illinois, we see an even larger decline uh, in uh, corn basis at those locations, so down 76 cents uh, per bushel since the beginning of July. Again, very similar. We saw kind of a run up uh, in soybean basis at those locations. Uh, That has kind of uh, gone out of that market and really, again, back in line with pretty much the historical average uh, for this time of year at those locations. And, you know, as I look at this chart, uh, Nathan, you see that tremendous strength we had in the basis, again, that kind of late June, early July timeframe. And then the weakness we've seen since then reflects, I think, what we were talking about earlier with respect to exports. There was an expectation that the exports were really going to be driving this, and you saw that taking place with respect to what was going on in the basis. It hasn't been as strong as a lot of us thought it might be, and all of a sudden, no big surprise that the basis is weakened. The other thing I guess maybe it's worth mentioning again, as you kind of alluded to this, is the variability in basis across merchandisers, right, across uh, individual terminals, individual processors. So if you do have some old crop left, whether it's corn or soybeans, it really behooves you to check around. There's, on any given day, and to some extent, it's we've seen some situations where it's a few hours, um, there could be a, a significant difference in basis across some of your normal marketing channels. And 
you know, could could be a situation where it's well worth your while to move uh, corn or soybeans to a, a lo- more distant location that maybe you don't typically use. Um, because what's taking place is, I think a lot of uh, merchandisers are really trying to avoid carryover inventory into the new crop. And they're being very hand-to-mouth with respect to their needs. And if they need some, they're willing to bump up the basis to get it for a short period of time. But once they meet their needs, that basis can weaken pretty quickly, right? Yeah, that's, that's exactly what I've been seeing. Uh, so then taking a look at um, basis at um, ethanol plants uh, in Indiana. Uh, again, so this is just all of the ethanol plants in Indiana average together to kind of give us this index of, of basis at those ethanol plants. Uh, we've seen basis uh, strengthening, you know, going back to, say, March and April and really um, getting relatively strong, right? Almost similar to last summer where we had extremely strong um, corn basis at those ethanol plants. Uh, again, that has started to break a little bit here in recent weeks, kind of consistent with what we were just talking about with a general weakening in basis. And again, we talked a little bit about uh, maybe some lagged effects associated with, you know, the really high gas prices that we saw this summer. And so, you know, while we have relatively strong uh, basis at those ethanol plants currently, it looks like that might be reverting kind of to some, some seasonal lows, but we'll kind of see what happens again with um, yield and those sorts of things as far as what, what basis at those ethanol plants is going to be in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, so the, the basis for the, the ethanol plants has been kind of interesting. And of course, one of the things that's going to drive that going forward is what happens to gasoline usage, right? And we've seen some evidence of people backing away from gasoline usage. I, uh, it, it's going to be very interesting this fall to see how that happens. We've seen prices weaken now. Um, you know, there was a period of time there when gasoline hit $5 a gallon, and it seemed like it caught everybody's attention and people started making changes. Are those changes going to hang on for a while? I mean, prices are still relatively high, but certainly now we've got a number of locations here, for example, in Indiana, where where, uh, gasoline uh, prices pretty routinely now are below $4 a gallon. Um, That's high by historical standards, but it sounds a lot better than $5, right? (laughs) Where we were at uh, early in the summer. So it's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out going forward. Yeah. So shifting our focus from the basis side of things to the future side of things, uh, one thing that I wanted to point out was uh, last month on on the the podcast we talked um, about seasonality and futures and where um, the the current kind of year stacked up against maybe the long-term kind of seasonal pattern, right? So we talk a lot about the seasonal pattern in futures with strength uh, for corn being, you know, sometime in that April to June timeframe where we see kind of these weather premiums get built into the market uh, and we're shifting from old crop to new crop. Um, You know, we we tend to see uh, rallies in futures about those times a year. Uh, This year, right, so the the 2022 crop, so looking at uh, December 2022 corn futures, you know, starting back in January of 22, you know, we've seen a big rally in in corn new crop corn futures. Um, that's not news to anyone. Last month we were talking about how you know corn futures had had sort of broke a little bit. So you know, towards the beginning of July we saw futures kind of uh, come back down, uh, really more in line with that uh, historical season seasonal pattern. Um, 
and, and we were kind of forecasting, well, you know, is this kind of where we're going to fall into this normal pattern of, of futures prices declining as we move towards harvest? And instead, really what we've seen over the last um, four to six weeks is, is futures prices have rebounded. And again, that's just the overall theme here is volatility, right? I mean, prices go up, prices go down just in uh, kind of unprecedented uh, short time intervals. We have these big swings. And so we've seen, you know, corn, new crop corn futures really rebound since the beginning of last month. Uh, following a big decline. Again, we're nowhere near where they where futures prices were, uh, you know, back in April and May. But again, we recovered some of the losses that we talked about uh, on last month's webinar. And so, you know, th the point is, you know, we don't really know uh, whether we've put in maybe a seasonal low on those corn futures. Again, we have a lot of time left to figure out what yields are going to be. Uh, but ultimately, right, we recovered some of what we lost uh, in the month of, in the June, beginning of July. And, you know, looking at the chart and thinking about what took place in July, Nathan, I think the chart's probably reflecting this idea that we were going to pull yields back, right? Yeah. And that probably gave us some of that strength. And I think if you want to get optimistic here over the next 30 days, it's going to really be a function of well, do we pull yields back a little farther from that 175, right? If you take another bushel off and maybe another two bushels off, which is feasible at this stage. Sure. Um, it's very easy to paint a scenario where that's going to continue to tighten. The other thing that's going to influence that, obviously, is, you know, what does really materialize in the Black Sea region, right? I mean, how, right. how effective are they going to be at being able to pull corn out of those ports on the Black Sea? And uh, I think that's anybody's guess at this point. So, um but until about the first week of July, it looked like we were following that old pattern that people always talk about with uh, once you get past Father's Day, it's, it's time to start unloading corn. That's what the chart looked like. And, and truthfully, it still, still tells that story. Sure. But uh, anyway. All right. Let's take a look at uh, futures today. We're kind of interesting. Uh, all over the map on both corn and soybeans. At the close, I think uh, D's corn was actually up 13 and a half cents. Not a surprise that it's up. Um, I guess some of the early response to the report was a little bit, I wouldn't say negative, but surprisingly not positive, right? Yeah, that's that's right. It, you know, there was a positive response, but it really took a little while to see that kind of filter to, through. It had to it had to snowball a little bit. It did, yeah. And so it's going to be interesting to see what kind of carry through we or carryover we have next week. Um, and I think a lot of that's going to depend on weather forecast. And of course, uh, here in August, we're still a uh, uh, some of the private crop tours are going to provide some additional information, so people are going to be looking and, and walking fields, and, and information will be trickling, trickling forward. But I, I do think the September report is going to be pretty important, um, particularly this year with respect to both corn and soybeans. So, uh, interesting move there. Let's. Uh, I guess one other thing to think about is is this is a chart that you normally look at, uh, Nathan, and that is the University of Illinois price distribution tool. And you might maybe just elaborate on that a little bit. Yeah. So basically, you know, using kind of current futures prices and volatility, they create a, a distribution of potential futures prices at expiration of the December 22 contract or whatever contract you select. We tend to look at the the new crop uh, futures contract. So you know, looking at the December 22 corn futures. What is the range of potential outcomes and, and the probability of those things happening? And so I think the, the, the real thing that, that I would point out here, and we've been pointing this out for you know, several months now, is, is looking at that range of potential outcomes. And it's you know, to be uh, in the middle of August looking at expiration of the December 22 
2022 contract and having a, a kind of, uh, you know, uh, interquartile range of prices that spans $2 is, is very, very, it's, it's an indication of the variability, right, that we've been seeing and we've already been alluding to. And so, you know, that we could have about a, a 25% chance that prices could be uh, below, you know, 550 or so, but then, you know, a 25% chance that prices could be above $7. And so that just gives people uh, a little bit of an indication of, you know, upside potential, but still downside risk. Yeah. And I think this ties into something we put in the newsletter last week. Last week at the beginning of our newsletter, we highlighted the fact that Michael Langemeyer has developed a, a pretty nice spreadsheet tool that you know, emulates the old uh, hard copy version of the Purdue uh, Crop Cost and Return Guide. And the nice thing about the spreadsheet tool is it's pretty easy to update with your own information. We've always encouraged people to do that with a printed copy, but I know that's been a little bit of a challenge for folks. Now that the spreadsheet tool is available, you could simply go in and update those prices and usage levels on the various fertilizer, seed, et cetera, and do a good job of calculating your own break-evens. And uh, this tool is probably best used in the context of thinking about what your break-evens are, right? I mean, that's, that's one way to, to think about this. Know your break-evens, know the risk exposure, which is what this tool actually helps you identify. And then think about, you know, do I need to make some sales to, you know, given where I'm at in terms of my risk exposure, um, just recognizing how difficult it's going to be to forecast exactly what's going to happen, right? Yeah, exactly. All right. So let's take a look at the soybean side. Um, soybean acreage was down, uh, I guess, about 300,000 acres uh, compared to the July report. Uh, yield up to 51.9 compared to the trend number they've been using, which was 51.5 bushels per acre. And so when you look at that, we're still looking at record soybean production, uh, 4.53 billion bushels. That's up compared to 4.44 billion bushels last year and up compared to 4.51 billion bushels on the July report. So pulled acreage back a little bit. But that was more than offset by the increase in yield. Uh, and I have to say, when you forecast soybean yields on the 1st of August, uh, there's a lot of risk, right? We could, we could still see some swings on that yield number, I think, going through the month of August. And so, again, the September numbers are going to be very interesting. Um, looking at the exports, USDA did reduce the, their estimate of the 21 crop exports by 10 million bushels. And that simply wound up bumping up the carryover a little bit. Um, they did raise the 22 crop export forecast. They were at 2.14, now they're at 2.16 billion bushels. Um, so not a huge change on either one of those. But um, if you look at the carryover numbers, uh, it's kind of interesting. Those bottomed out on the 21 crop in June at 205 million bushels. This month, they went up another 10 million bushels compared to July. So they're forecasting 225 million bushel carryover from the 21 crop into the 22 crop year. And then if you look at their early estimates, I guess, of the 22 crop carryover, last month they were at 230 million bushels. This month they bumped that up to 245. Part of that's simply because they carried over an extra 10 million bushels from the prior year. Uh, so they basically bumped off uh, reduced usage by 5 million bushels is kind of what happened there. Um, if you look at the changes, though, it really doesn't change the picture much. Uh, 
We're still sitting basically at 5% carryover. Uh, the 21 crop estimates at 5.0% exactly. Uh, the preliminary estimate for 22 is at 5.4% of estimated usage. So any way you look at it, that's a tight carryover number. We've had, I think, one or two years uh, that have been below 5%. I think 2013, we were at 3%. 2012, we were just barely below 5 uh, 2008, 2009, we were just barely below five. Um, those are all pretty strong price years. This is still a tight supply situation. Um, coming into this, I think uh, before the podcast, we were uh, talking about this a little bit, Nathan. You know, one of the things that's kind of hanging over the soybean market in the background is what's going to happen to soybean acreage in South America this fall. And there's a widespread expectation that South America plantings will increase substantially this fall. Um, I think that's maybe mitigating the impact of that carryover estimate a little bit, um, but that's still off in the future. Uh, so there's there's still some risks there, and of course this this soybean yield number is still up in the air uh, from my perspective here, going through the month of August and into early September. Um, if you look at USDA's estimates of cash soybean prices, they did pull those back, but uh, by a, a nickel. So they're at 13.30 for the 21 crop and 14.40 for the 22 crop. Previously, they were at 13.35 and 14.45. So those are some fairly small changes. Um, it would be interesting to be uh, in the lockup room uh, debating those that kind of a change, especially in the uh, 22 crop uh, forecast. But anyway, we won't we won't belabor that. So. You've taken a look at the basis and uh, looking at your first chart, it looks a little bit like the corn side, except even more severe. Yeah, I mean, really pr pretty similar story here. I mean, the, the the first thing is, you know, again, very mixed. So if you have old crop soybeans, uh, you really need to be paying attention because just like with corn, you know, on any given day at a given location, right, we've seen big bumps in basis uh, and those can evaporate very quickly. So, you know, for those that are, are looking at uh, getting rid of whatever old crop beans you may still have, you know, there still are strong basis opportunities out there. They just uh, are kind of, they come and go. And so you really need to be paying attention, um, not maybe not just to the location where you would typically sell, but, you know, uh, look, look beyond just um, one particular location. The other thing that I want to point out here before I, you know, uh, quantify maybe some of the changes that I'm looking at from the, the crop basis tool is, um, you know, a lot of the, the uh, locations that I have looked at have shifted their bids um, for uh, soybeans to new crop um, November future prices, right? And so that's not really reflected in the um, in the crop basis tool. So you kind of have to do a little bit of a mental accounting there to kind of figure out what basis would be if you're using that uh, new crop November soybean futures contract versus uh, what I, you know, the way I have the tool built, so to speak, um, because I <laughs> didn't really anticipate this, this shift, you know, we're in the old uh, crop marketing year, but we have this shift uh, going forward. So that's something you really need to pay attention to, right? As you're looking at bids uh, for, for soybeans currently is a lot of those locations have shifted those bids forward. Um, but anyways, with, with that said, um, you know, like you mentioned, 
the general trend looking at kind of the regional averages for soybean bases is a decline and a pretty strong decline relative to those September soybean futures. So in uh, central Indiana, soybean basis on average has declined $1.90 per bushel, and that's just the decline in basis uh, since the beginning of July. So a pretty, pretty big weakening there in terms of where basis has gone over the last four to six weeks. So, you know, this this has really been an interesting summer, I think, with respect to what the merchandisers have chosen to do. And I think what they're really trying to communicate pretty clearly is they don't want to be exposed to the risk of short supplies at delivery points um, and, and the possibility of a, a little bit of a of squeeze taking place there that doesn't reflect what's going on at their location. And so they've moved their bids and based them off of November futures because that's the obviously the new crop, but it's also the contract that has a lot of liquidity in it, uh, not worried at all about anything taking place with respect to a shortage of deliverable supplies at delivery points. So that was, you know, that's what makes that chart look the way it does. But it also reflects reality. I mean, that's that was what take, took place. All of a sudden, your merchandiser wasn't paying attention to August or September futures. They were focused on November. And, and in fact, I think what a lot of them did, they made the change when they moved away from July futures, right? Right. So a lot of these changes took place roughly the last week of June. Um, very interesting situation. Not something we see very often, right? Yeah. So let's see. You've, you've taken... So that's... Uh, Central Indiana. You've taken a look also at Southwest. Yep. So looking at Southwest Indiana again, pretty similar basis uh, in Southwest and uh, soybean basis in Southwest Indiana relative to those September futures uh, are down about a dollar fifty. So a little bit less, but again, still big declines uh, in basis in that region on average. And then again, kind of zoning in just on those terminals uh, along the Ohio River there in southern Indiana and southern Illinois, we kind of see a little bit different picture. Um, and again, this one's a little bit hard to explain. You know, again, I think it maybe comes back to some of the variability we've seen. Basis at those river terminals have been really bouncing around quite a bit. Um, but the overall trend being a strengthening uh, in, in soybean basis at those locations with, you know, the current week's basis being a $1.81 on average over September uh, soybean futures. Um, very strong. And again, that's an average of probably 10 locations along the river there. So some would be weaker, but some would actually be stronger than that. With what we just said, you know, re regarding corn, it followed that same trend of, of weakening basis uh, in southwest Indiana as a region and then the river following suit. Here, we don't really see that for soybeans, um, and, and I don't have a great explanation of what's going on there. I was hoping you had a great explanation for this because it, it is a bit of a puzzle. <laughs> um, on the corn side, the fact that there appeared to be a pretty strong correlation between what was taking place on the rivers and what we were seeing in southwest Indiana it made a lot of sense. This is really interesting. It's really telling us that the interior markets are weak yeah. and the river markets maintain some strength, which means there is some export demand out there. Exactly. That's exactly what this is designed to kind of capture is what's going on uh, in those export markets, at least a proxy for what's going on in those export markets. And that, that seems to be what it's indicating here. You know, I'd have to dig in a little bit deeper looking at those individual locations if there's something that, that may be driving that. But but ultimately, yeah, that, that would be my general conclusion is there's there's something going on from a soybean export perspective that's not happening for corn this, you know, the last week or two weeks. I mean, it, it, it 
correlates, obviously, with the fact that Brazil's sold out. Right. Uh, this is a time frame when the U.S. is the residual supplier, so I think it's picking that up. But it is it, the contrast between what we're showing here on soybeans versus what we were picking up on corn is very interesting. So, yeah. uh, again, I think it, it points to what we said earlier, which is if you do have some old crop remaining, um, shop it around. Yeah. Right. Don't 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 ex just routinely accept the normal bid that you get from your maybe most typical outlet. Uh, you need to check around and see who who really wants those beans uh, in the same way on corn. And you've you've taken a look at the processor bids as well, which is a different story than what we just showed on exports. Yeah, it is different than than that river market. So the basically again similar to what we do with with ethanol, just taking all of the soybean processors in the state of Indiana, averaging them together together to give us kind of this index of uh, soybean processor basis. Again, quite a bit of volatility, uh, you know, over the past uh, month or two. But really, the the interesting thing is, uh, you know. As opposed to the, the the river markets that we just talked about, the processor basis has had a, a, a negative trend, right? Um, weakening similar more to what we showed with those regional averages from the crop basis tool. And so, again, the, the contrast there, like you just mentioned, right, inland markets showing a lot more weakness than what we're seeing at those river markets, giving some indication of, of maybe some strength uh, for, for soybean exports um, at some locations along the river in southern Illinois and southern Indiana. And again, you know, we've, we've picked up the stories with respect to some individual locations. Processors get caught, short bought. Right. They're, they'll step up the basis very quickly uh, to fulfill their needs. As soon as those needs are fulfilled, they back it off very quickly. Uh, nobody wants to carry inventory over into the new crop, right? Or if they do, right. they want to buy it at new crop prices. That, that's what's going on here, right? Anything that, that might potentially get carried over, exactly. Um, they, they want to do it at new crop prices. I was listening to one of the market reports on the radio yesterday. Uh, merchandiser was given the quotes. They had a quote for old crop up to the 20th of August. You brought it in the 21st of August, it was a dollar lower, right? I mean, that's exactly what's going on here. There's a big difference between the value of old crop and the value of new crop. Mm -hmm. So then again, kind of shifting our, our focus here from the basis side of things to the future side of things, I want to revisit kind of some stuff we talked about uh, last month with regards to kind of uh, seasonality in, in soybean futures. Again, we show the, the seasonal charts uh, routinely, especially in the springtime when we're talking about new crop marketing opportunities. So again, with soybeans, we tend to see, you know, strength seasonally in that June, July time frame. Uh, again, those are those weather premiums uh, that time of year. Uh, uh, the 20, uh, 2022 uh, crop, right? So looking at November 22 soybeans starting back in the January of 2022, we've seen, you know, pretty substantial rallies in, in soybean futures prices, a lot of strength. Again, similar to corn, that really started to break off at the end of uh, June or so. We saw those prices really revert back to uh, what would be maybe normal uh, for a seasonal um, price uh, relative to the, the first of the year um, for that end of June, beginning of July timeframe. And again, we, we kind of were uh, forecasting or, or at least thinking about, okay, well, have we come back down to this seasonal pattern? We'll move towards seasonal lows uh, and futures prices around harvest. And again, similar to what we talked about with corn, that's not really the, the pattern that 
that futures prices have followed. We've seen those kind of rebound and bounce back up. Again, not near to the levels that they were in, in you know May and June, uh, but again, a, a little bit of a recovery there, mainly probably on a lot of, um, like we talked about, anticipated uh, yield uh, impacts. And so the question is, you know, going forward, will, will we see continued increase? Will we come back down to that seasonal average? Again, it will depend a lot on what we see happening on the yield side of things. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting these next few weeks. And I think, you know, with respect to making marketing decisions right now, um, you know, Nathan, I don't have a strong opinion about making sales at these prices, uh, given what's taking place. Uh, if, hopefully, I think a lot of our listeners have made some marketing decisions a little earlier when things were more positive and certainly looked, you know, from a profitability standpoint, looked really strong. Um, there's clearly some downside risk from these levels, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, the flip side of that is it's hard to see this doing anything other than just bouncing around based on weather forecasts the next roughly three weeks. That's particularly true on the soybean side. On the corn side, it's going to be weather coupled with what goes on in the Black Sea region, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to get real negative on, on 5% carryovers, right? Yeah. But at the end of the day, there still is is downside risk. And I think, you know, specifically, if you haven't done anything for the entire year, this kind of bounce back up maybe is a chance to just lock in a little bit. I mean, that's what we've been talking about, you know, all year, especially with some of Michael's forecasts. You don't want to just miss the opportunity to lock in what are really, really profitable levels. And again, the peaks that we, we saw, you know, several months ago are gone. But on some of these rebounds, if you want to make some decisions on small portions of the crop, I don't think that's a terrible idea. But again, I don't think anybody's super negative with such a tight carryover. I think there certainly is, is upside potential. Yeah. And, and as we're speaking here, we're looking at a chart of the November soybean futures. And of course, you know, it's an interesting chart. These last two weeks, we've basically picked up a dollar and a half, right? Two weeks ago, uh, November soybean futures were flirting with $13. Today's close, we're flirting with $14.50. Um, the peak back in, uh, what, mid-June on November futures was a little below 16, I think about probably about 15.70 or 15.80. I can't quite tell on this chart. So, you know, are we gonna go back and challenge those highs? I'm not gonna come out and say that we are. Uh, I think for that to happen, we'd have to see some negative weather here in, in uh, the month of, of August and maybe the beginning of September. Um, so, yeah, I agree with you, Nathan. If you haven't made any sales, taking advantage of the dollar and a half rally that we're uh, looking at on this chart, not, not a bad idea. Um, if you've already made significant sales at earlier profitable prices, uh, then I wouldn't feel I wouldn't push it so hard, right? That's right. I think if that's the case, you, you probably have a little more wiggle room there. Again, the, the price distribution tool, I just helps us characterize how much risk is really out there, right? Yeah. I mean, again, it's just, like you said, there's a lot of ways you can use this tool. I think, you know, the, the thing that I would want to stress the most is just the range. Uh, again, we're in August, we're looking at what the potential prices could be for November 22 soybeans between now and expiration of that contract. And it's, you know, again, a $2 range between 1350 and 1550. That's, 
you know, the, the 50% middle probability of that happening. There's 25% chance they could be lower, 25% chance about that they could be higher than that. And so again, it's just, there's a lot of opportunity uh, for volatility between now and harvest. And so you just have to be aware of, again, upside potential and downside risk and be making kind of risk management decisions that lock in, you know, profitable levels for your farm while not pricing yourself out of any sort of, you know, increases in prices going forward. Yeah, no matter how confident you are about, uh, and we are about what direction prices are going to go, you just have to recognize there's a high probability you're going to be wrong. And that's really what risk management's all about, right? And, and that's why I emphasized earlier the idea that if you haven't done so, um, consider downloading that crop cost and return guide spreadsheet. Or uh, There's other tools available out there, but obviously that's one we have that's an easy one to use. Uh, so that you have a good, accurate projection of what your own break-evens are. And that can be very helpful in terms of helping you make some, some decisions because at that point you can make decisions based on profitability or expected profitability. And this time of year, you can be reasonably accurate. There's still some yield risk, even on your own individual farm, obviously, in terms of forecasting yields. But you can do a better job of forecasting yields now than you could back in April or, or March or uh, when you were doing some of your planning. So, so with that, I'm going to wrap up the podcast. Um, just a reminder, you can download a set of the charts that accompany this podcast on our website at purdue.edu, Commercial Ag. Uh, the podcast will be featured on the center's homepage or you can always click on podcast on the menu bar and, and find it that way. Um, I encourage you to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. And so on behalf of Nathan Thompson and the Purdue University Center for Commercial Agriculture, I'm Jim Mintert. Thanks for listening.